Morning, everybody. I really love singing those songs. Uh, one of the things I love about, about December, I noticed that after uh, Thanksgiving, we were down in Tennessee with our daughter for Thanksgiving and coming back uh, that weekend right afterwards, uh, man, on the radio, it was all Christmas music all the time. So I have a question that I want to start with this morning. What is your favorite Christmas song? What's your favorite Christmas song? Probably sitting by somebody you know. Uh, turn to a neighbor. Tell them what your song is right now. Go ahead. What's your favorite Christmas song? I'm going to keep talking while you're doing that. All right? Go ahead. Go ahead. You may talk out loud in church. So for me, probably it's the old faithfuls. I love songs like Joy to the World, A Holy Night, those songs, Silent Night. My wife, her favorite song is uh, Mary Did You Know? And I have to just stop talking if it comes on, you know, and just be quiet until it's all done so she can listen to it. Um, according to the Billboard music charts, the top four Christmas songs in America are these. Number one, Little Drummer Boy by Pentatonix. Uh, some woman saying, all I want for Christmas is you. I don't know. It, you know, it's been around. Uh, then there's a couple of really old ones. Uh, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree and Jingle Bell Rock. Those are the top four in America today. And what I noticed when I read through the top 100 Christmas songs, I noticed that so many of them celebrate the spirit of Christmas, but they don't really focus too much on the birth of Jesus. After Little Drummer Boy in the number one spot, you've got to go all the way down to number 56. 16 slots after that famous Christmas classic, I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas, until you get to Silent Night, number 56. And I guess that doesn't surprise me so much. Our culture is so quick to celebrate peace on earth without thinking too hard about what that really means and how we actually can find it. Music is so powerful though, isn't it? Uh, it creates this opportunity for us to engage both our, our heads and our hearts and then worship music. The songs that we oftentimes sing on Sunday mornings together actually engage our soul as well and we can express those very deepest things about what we really believe to be true and we can celebrate who God is and how he's at work in the world. And that's really part of the reason why we taught what we did this month, month of December. We looked at these four specific songs in the Christmas story found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, week one, week one, who was here? Bradley was here. And he talked about Mary's song, the Magnificat. And then week two, Kurt was here. And he talked about the song that Zachariah sang. Zachariah, who was the, the father of John the Baptist. And then week three, Katie talked about the song. I think probably almost all of us are familiar with it. It's a song that the angels sang in front of the shepherds who were watching their flocks at night on the night that Jesus was born. Now, this morning, we're going to look at one final song, Simeon's song. And our hope this month has been that these songs that are part of the Christmas story in the gospel stories, that these songs will help us just get ready even a little bit more this year 
for the coming of birth of Jesus. So we're going to go to chapter 2, verse 22 in the Gospel of Luke. And this is kind of the end of the Christmas story. And we're going to look at the song of Simeon. So Luke 2, beginning at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms And praise God. When our daughter lived in Pittsburgh, I remember when we were visiting once a story about a guy named Indian Joe, who was part of the folklore of Pittsburgh back in the 40s and 50s. Indian Joe directed traffic at a busy intersection in downtown Pittsburgh. Uh, He was this harmless old guy who stood at the same traffic light every afternoon at rush hour and helped traffic to do what was appropriate. For instance, when the light turned green, he would motion for the traffic to go. And then when the light turned red, he would motion for them to stop. He wasn't breaking any laws. Nobody bothered him. Police left him alone. And everybody assumed Indian Joe was crazy as a bag of cats. (laughs) And then one day, Joe was gone. And no one ever saw him again. And I'm sure many people wondered what happened to Indian Joe. Maybe even missed him. That crazy old guy had been such a common sight for so many years. So when I read again the story about Simeon, I thought about Indian Joe. The Bible doesn't say much about Simeon, only that he was a, a good man, righteous and devout, had great devotion, and that God told him he wouldn't die until he laid his eyes on the promised Messiah. Now, I don't know how often Simeon came to the temple, maybe soon, almost every day, looking for the Messiah, or what, what the Gospel of Luke called the consolation of Israel. And we'll talk about that in a second. So I'm guessing that Simeon became a fixture, became part of the folklore of first century Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem is already here uh, over a thousand years old. It, it was a major tourist destination because it, it had one of the wonders of the world, the ancient world. Tens of thousands of people would pilgrimage to Jerusalem to visit the holy city and to see the temple. You know, I bet that there were even tour guides back then. 
who would tell stories about the temple that Herod the Great had rebuilt. And some visitors might have even asked, hey, I noticed that old guy kind of hanging around here all the time. what's, What's his story? And the tour guides would probably laugh and say, oh, that old guy, ah, he's a little, you know, but he's harmless. He comes here every day thinking he's going to see the Messiah. Now, I don't know if all that's true, but odd people, people like Simeon and Indian Joe usually, usually get made fun of a lot. They're a little strange, a little unusual. We don't really know what to do with them. You know, it's not every day that you run into somebody who believes they've had a message from God. But Simeon did. God told him he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. And he waited. He waited in the temple day after day. You know, imagine what that must have been like for him. Every day, he watched couple after couple come in and go out, bringing their babies to the temple to be dedicated, wondering if, if one of these little boys was the Messiah. And then finally one day, he saw this poor couple who probably didn't look a whole lot different than all the other couples that he's seen come and go. Mary had come to the temple to follow the laws from the Old Testament that required that she bring an offering after a 40-day period of purification. And the fact that Mary and Joseph brought a pair of pigeons tells us that they were too poor to afford a lamb. And think about that for a moment. The couple who was too poor to sacrifice a lamb were the parents of Jesus, who became known as the Lamb of God. The Holy Spirit told Simeon this was the one. This little boy was the Messiah. Now, before we get to Simeon's song, um, I want us to think for a minute about how in the world this even happened. I mean, how did Simeon find Jesus? Well, I think it's because he had three things. First, he had a grounded hope. A lot of Israelites had given up on the Messiah. But there were some who still held out hope. Unfortunately for many of them, their hope was based on their own ideas about who the Messiah was going to be and what he was going to do, rather than what God said specifically about the Messiah in Scripture. So Simon's hope was grounded in in two critical ways. First, it was grounded in Scripture. Simon was waiting for, remember this, the consolation of Israel. That phrase, the consolation of Israel, was another way of talking about the Messiah. And it really comes from this prophecy in the book of Isaiah, where it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double For all her sins. So the word comfort here in Isaiah is very similar to the word consolation in Luke. And the idea here is that God would comfort his people by sending a Messiah who would bridge the gap between them and God 
by forgiving their sins. And Simeon had hope because he believed this was true. He trusted God's word. And Simeon had hope day after day because he also listened. He listened to the Holy Spirit. There were a lot of people back then, including a whole bunch of really smart biblical scholars who totally missed the coming of the Messiah because their hope was based on their own ideas of what the Messiah was going to be rather than what Scripture said. They weren't listening. They weren't listening to the Holy Spirit. So this Christmas season, if you want to have hope that you can count on, it's got to be grounded in the Jesus of the Bible, not a Jesus of your own imagination. A lot of people are are willing to accept a cute little baby Messiah in a manger, but they miss what Jesus actually can do for them because they aren't willing to deal with all the things that Jesus taught and did. We'll come back to this. So, in addition to a grounded hope, Simeon also had a gracious humility. Simeon was described, remember this, as being righteous and devout. And whenever the Bible describes somebody as righteous, they're only righteous because God said so. And God only does that for those who, who trust him, trust him for their forgiveness, not for those who try to earn their righteousness by what they do or don't do. Simeon was righteous because, because he was humble. He trusted in God's grace, believed it was enough. And even though Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, because of Simeon's humble heart, God said he was righteous because of what Jesus would do in the future. Now, most people don't want to admit that they're sinners. We don't, right? And even if we do, we still have a hard time admitting that we can't do anything about it. Our only response is to humble ourselves and to trust in God's grace. Grounded hope, gracious humility, Simeon also found Jesus because he had a growing faith. Here's where the word devout comes in. The word literally means cautious. Simeon was concerned about the things of God and he lived cautiously because he didn't want to do or say anything that would dishonor God. He lived a cautious life, careful to obey and honor God. Genuine faith is always demonstrated by how we live our lives. If we really appreciate the righteousness that God gives us through Jesus, then how we live will reflect that. Not because we think we can somehow convince God by how good we are, but out of gratitude for what he's done for us. So I imagine that Joseph and Mary were pretty surprised when this old guy approached them in the temple and took their baby in his arms. But I was thinking about that. Maybe by this time they'd already gotten used to these kinds of surprises. So as Simeon held the baby Jesus, here's a song that he sang to God. 
Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So here's my summary of what he sang. God makes his salvation available to all people through his people. Crazy old Simeon had an understanding of God that just wasn't common in Israel. Most Messiahs believe, or most Israelites believe the Messiah would establish a kingdom and that the Messiah would rule over this kingdom and over all the Gentiles, the despised Gentiles. Most, most Israelites really hated the Gentiles a lot. And they believed that they were unworthy of God's attention. But that wasn't God's intention. Because Simeon's hope was grounded in the scripture, he knew that God's salvation was for everyone. He remembered God chose Israel to be a blessing to the nations. Like it says here in, in Isaiah 42, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release the dungeons for those who sit in darkness. Simeon says, God makes his salvation available to all people through his people. All right, so let me pull this apart just a little bit. First thing, God's salvation is all his doing. Salvation is completely God's doing. It's his salvation that he prepared for all people. Even though Simeon was righteous and devout, he knew that God allowed him to see Jesus, the Savior of the world, before he died. And it was a gift. It was a gift from God and nothing more than that. Not because of anything he'd done. God's salvation isn't based on anything we do. Because it's all God's work. So let me say that again. If I'm trying to waste time, if, if, I'm, if I'm trying in any way to earn God's favor or God's salvation based on what I do, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time if I'm trying to earn God's love, attention, and salvation. If my relationship with God is based on anything other than what God's done for me through Jesus then I've missed it. I've missed the coming of the Messiah. It's so easy to mix a bit of legalism into our faith journey. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it to feel better about yourself. Don't do it to feel better about other people. Don't do it because you think you can make God feel better about you. Because none of that will work. God's salvation is all his doing. And then secondly, God's salvation is available to all people. Simeon understood that it was always God's plan to bring salvation to all people. And not just the Israelites. You know, sometimes we can be a lot like 
the Israelites back then and assume that there are some people who aren't worthy of God's salvation. And we usually base that on a lot of outward factors, things like race and religion and social status and politics and, and, or a stance on some cultural issue. And once we have that kind of a mindset, we are going to miss the coming of the Messiah. None of us are worthy of God's salvation. Jesus came to earth to bring salvation to everyone. And then third thing, God's salvation is to be proclaimed by God's people. Simeon sang that God's salvation is for the glory of your people, Israel. Now, he's not saying that salvation is only for the Israelites. So what, what does this mean? Well, God could have chosen to do anything to make his salvation known. Anything. But he chose to do it through his chosen people. God formed the nation of Israel to be a light to the world. And when the Messiah came, Israel's role had been brought to completion. And whatever glory they received was because God kept his promises to them. Not because they were better than everyone else. And now... It's our turn. Jesus gives every generation of followers the task of being a light to a dark world. This isn't an easy thing to do. Jesus may have introduced a, a way of living that was a lot less complicated than following hundreds of Jewish rules and laws, but, but it's still a very demanding way to live. And maybe that's why Simeon followed his song with both a blessing and a warning. Here's what he said. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about, about Jesus. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's well, kind of a bit of a Debbie Downer, isn't it? You know, maybe this was the first time Mary and Joseph were confronted with the suffering that Jesus was going to experience later in his life and, and the heartbreak Mary would experience as she watched her son suffer and die. You know, these, these final words from Simeon are just as important as everything else that he said. Followers for Jesus, followers of Jesus, must be prepared for heartbreak. Think about Christmas. We sing so much about togetherness, joy, peace. But what we're celebrating the birth of Jesus can lead to division and tension. On the surface, a holiday celebrating the birth of a cute little baby in a manger over 2,000 years ago that pro promotes peace on earth should bring people together. But when we get to the heart of what the Messiah's coming actually means, it's obvious why 
It divides as well as unites. At its core, the coming of Jesus is God's sign that we are all sinners. And salvation's possible only for those who will humble themselves and accept the gift of salvation by trusting God. It's impossible to take a neutral position about that message. Some will have faith, they'll humble themselves, they'll accept God's grace, and like Simeon says, they will rise. But others won't. Simeon says many in Israel won't believe. And as a result, Jesus will suffer and die, which will cause his mother Mary great sorrow. And for those who reject and oppose Jesus, they will fall. How we respond to the coming of the Messiah reveals our true hearts. If we accept the salvation God offers, it reveals hearts that are, are humble, full of grace. If we reject the gift of God's Son, it reveals hearts that are proud and unwilling, unable to trust God. God makes his salvation available to all people through his people. All right, here's my final words. First question. How have you responded to God's salvation through the coming of the Messiah, Jesus? How have you responded? For those of you who have accepted the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus, then, then this ought to be a time to thank and praise God for doing everything for you to have that great gift. You can't be neutral when it comes to the salvation that God has provided for us through Jesus. And if you have never chosen to trust in Jesus, then you are still opposing God. And Simeon says, you will fall. But the good news is that it's not too late to make that choice. The gift of salvation isn't something we keep to ourselves. We share it. We share it through our words, but also, maybe even more importantly, we share it through how we live. God's grace should overflow from our lives into the lives of everyone we meet. So my final, final, final word is this. I encourage you this Christmas season to take advantage of opportunities that you have, and we all have them, to love others with the love of Jesus. And don't forget Simeon's song. God makes his salvation available to all people, including you and me, through his people. Let's pray. God, for the gift of salvation through Jesus, we give you thanks this morning. Thank you for the story. The story of how 
God, you came to earth through your son, Jesus. You came as a child. You humbled yourself. You came in weakness. And you did all of this on purpose. To teach us, to show us a different way of living. A way of living that is humble and gracious, that is kind, that is full of forgiveness. All the things that you have offered to us. So thank you. Thank you for your gift. Thank you for Simeon's song. Thank you for the Messiah, your son Jesus. Amen.